Hi, friends. Welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski. Way back in 2020, we did a webinar on high-performance teams in conjunction with the Scrum Alliance. Thank you, friends at Scrum Alliance, for hosting us. Uh, in case you missed it, we'll include a link to that webinar in our podcast notes. We had a ton of questions after the event. People wanted to learn more. And I want to make sure we answer everybody's questions. So that's what this episode is about. It's questions and answers about high-performance teams, psychological safety, team emotional intelligence, and the core protocols. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Here's our first question. When you talked about positive bias as the foundation for great teams, you defined it partly with the phrase, no negation. But what if a teammate makes a suggestion that's a hard no? Like, what if they propose something illegal? How do you handle that with no negativity? Okay, so here's the idea here. Uh, the foundation that we have, we, we say um, on high-performance teams, the foundation is positive bias, uh, including the idea no negation. It's a reminder for everybody to make space for a wide diversity of ideas, to include everybody in every conversation that we have together as teammates. It's not permission to do anything illegal or unethical. You're always responsible. You're always responsible for doing the right things, uh, for consistently modeling the desired behaviors for your teammates, the behaviors that you want them to have, the behaviors that you want the team to have together, and for not doing anything dumb on purpose. Remember that phrase, don't do anything, I, I won't do anything dumb on purpose. That comes from the core commitments. It's, uh, I think it's commitment number 11. You can find that at thecoreprotocols.org. Second question. Can checking out be irresponsible? Here's what I think. When you check out, it's usually the most responsible thing to do. If you should be somewhere else doing something more valuable, do it. However, if you notice that you're checking out most of the time, you should probably investigate yourself or check your intentions, do an intention check on yourself. Are you really part of that team? Do you really want to be part of that team? Next question. Based on what I understand, self-awareness is a behavior set that leads to high performance. So is this a trait to cultivate or is this a characteristic to look for when you're deciding who should join your team? Here's what I think. So I think about recruiting a lot. Uh, help people do recruiting. I used to be a manager. I used to recruit people to, to join my teams. I would recruit people who have at least some self-awareness and a demonstrable growth mindset. I think that's probably the most important thing. And of course, we need people to have the skills to be able to do the job. Uh, but the growth mindset to be able to acquire any additional skills that they might need. So the minimum self-awareness would be that they know that they want to be part of the team, uh, that they're aligned with our goals, that they would be passionate, as passionate as we are about achieving our goals together. Where's the website reference for check-in? That's our next question. So you can find all the core protocols at thecoreprotocols.org. Check-in is, is there along with all the others. Check-in is at thecoreprotocols.org slash protocols slash check-in or slash check-in.html. I think they both work. Uh, that website is actually hosted on GitHub. It's, it's a GitHub repo. Everything is GPL'd, uh, and it's all free. And uh, for the geekier among us, and that includes me, 
Uh, this version of Core is a core repo, like I said, so it's genuinely open source, right? You can, you can clone it, you can fork it, you can do whatever you want to it. Uh, we welcome your comments. You can, you can give me pull requests. Uh, we invite you to do whatever you want with it, just like you could with any other open source software. Next question. In the emotion check-in protocol, we respond to our teammates by saying welcome. Why do we say welcome? What's the reason for that? Are we merely trying to let the person know we're listening? Or is there more? Okay, so in the script for check-in, teammates say welcome after the person checks in. Uh, most people report that that welcome, it helps them feel acknowledged and heard. And that this tiny bit of positivity that, that we get acknowledged, it triggers the feel-good sensations in the body. Uh, the body releases a little bit of serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin. And I, I never know if I'm pronouncing this right. I hope I, I, hope I did. Uh, if I didn't, let me know how to pronounce them. So because of that physiological response, we feel more relaxed individually. We feel more connected together, and we're more focused. Uh, that, that practice of saying welcome at the end of a check-in, it's a very simple connection behavior that binds us together more, more firmly, uh, helps us be a stronger team. Next question, is any of this based on the VIA, the VIA Institute Character Strengths? I'm noticing similarities, so I'm curious. And I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Is that VIA? Is that VIA? Is that VIA? Um, obviously, I don't know everything about the VIA Institute. There's no explicit connection between the core protocols and the VIA Institute, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were similarities. Uh, there's more than one way for people to build high self-awareness and, and, and connect with each other and do all these sorts of things. Uh, to aim for what they want, to have great experiences together. The core protocols are one way, and there are definitely others. Our next question is, how do you practice passion? That's a great question. Uh, is, is, I'm wondering if passion is this person's personal alignment. And, and if it is, I would ask the question back to the, the asker. What does passion mean to you? How would you define passion? What would it look like if you were practicing passion? It depends on what passion means to you and what your goals are. How could I know, how, how would somebody know if they were observing you that you've been practicing passion or that you're practicing it right now? What evidence would there be that you've been practicing passion? You might want to try out the team transformation canvas. It's a canvas that you can fill in. Uh, you can see if that helps you with ideas for practicing passion or any of the virtues that are part of personal alignment. Here's another question. Most of us are working from home these days. We no longer work together in physical space. Have you looked at how to implement the core protocols in a virtual environment successfully or how we could modify them for virtual environments? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, every one of these behaviors works in a virtual environment. I wrote the blog piece, Stay Amazing Together When Life is Hard. We'll link to that uh, to help with this. Take a look at that article's sidebar, which includes 10 tips for how to do this with remote teams. Uh, for example, here's what decider and resolution might look like in an asynchronous online environment. Uh, for people watching the video, I'm holding this up to the camera. And for people listening, I'll describe what we have here. Uh, so this is an example of decider and resolution in an asynchronous environment. This is on Slack. Right, so 
I proposed something. I, I wrote, I propose that we spend the weekend pair programming the first iteration of our NVP, one, two, three. So that's just plain old decider. And then I wrote, to vote, add a reaction to this message, add an emoji reaction. The thumbs up icon for, yes, I support this proposal. The, it's actually the high five icon. It's the closest thing we have to a flat hand. The high five or the flat hand icon for, I support the team's decision. The thumbs down icon for, no, I do not support this proposal. And make sure you add your resolution idea in a response to this message thread. And then I added on, voting ends on Friday at noon, Boston time. I think it's really important to add a, add a deadline uh, to this when you're doing it asynchronously. And then my, my colleague wrote back. He, he actually, he voted thumb down. I voted thumb up. I added the thumbs up emoji. He, voted, he added the thumbs down emoji. He wrote, I'm so close to being in. So he wrote a thumbs down. And then without my prompting him, he started doing resolution. To get me in, I would like to see a time window set for each day so I can plan my weekend. Uh, for example, Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, and Sunday, 9 to 11 a.m. So that's how we did it. Uh, you can take any of these and use them in, in, in online space, in virtual space. Uh, all of this stuff works. Next question. As a scrum master, if you see someone who's distracted in a stand-up meeting, how do you let them know they can pass or check out? my answer. Sometimes I just model these behaviors as a way to invite people to try them without even telling them that it's a particular behavior with a particular intention and a name. Uh, people have, uh, we, we call them uh, mirror neurons. We don't actually have mirror neurons, but what it means is that people imitate what they see other people do. So sometimes I, I intentionally do a pass or a checkout I would do this at the next stand-up, intentionally model passing or checking out. Uh, when it's my turn, I might just say, I pass. Or if I was distracted, I would check out. Uh, and they might notice that this is a thing that's possible and imitate me. That would be good. I also might investigate my teammate to try to understand what this distraction is all about. Next question. How would you encourage a new team composed of people who just met, to be open to sharing information about each other, to investigate each other. Since they just met, people might be more reticent to share information on personal aspects. And uh, this is another one of these ideas, uh, uh, my answer is related to this, this mirror neuron idea. And I have a real life story about this. Uh, it was um, over a year ago now, uh, almost two years ago now, I was a member of a criminal jury here at my, in my hometown in Boston. I, uh, I wanted us to be a great team in a day. We were a very short-lived team, right? We met that morning. We were supposed to get our work done and be done by the time we left. Uh, I wanted us to be a great team because it was so important. Uh, we had to make a decision that had really huge impact on somebody's life and really huge impact on the community, right? We wanted to make sure that if, if the person really were guilty, we, we, we said so, and if not, we said so. Uh, you can find this in, in my blog. We'll, we'll put a link to this in the podcast notes. Uh, so, mirror neurons. I simply modeled the behaviors, starting with the emotion check-in, and everything flowed from there. So just, just try it. Next question is, can error handling be used as part of our retrospectives? Absolutely. The error handling behavior, it's called protocol check in the core protocols. 
It's an example of how to safely raise an important issue with our teammates. And the issue would be that we made an agreement with each other, but we didn't honor that agreement. Being able to confront each other safely, that's a characteristic of great teams. It's really important to be able to do that together. And, um, oh, could you do this in a retrospective? Definitely. It would, it would be like, uh, hey, at our last retrospective, we said we would do blah, blah, blah. But we didn't do blah, blah, blah during this sprint. Protocol check. You might say protocol check. It's up to you. Uh, we, we made this agreement and it didn't happen. What's up with that? What should we do differently so that we actually make these improvements to, to actually do the things that we agree on together? Next question. At which stage of team development would you suggest we implement the core protocols? Would you recommend applying some of them before others? My answer, use the core protocols anytime you want your team to be better, to be more effective. And use the core protocols immediately if you want your team to be better, to be more effective, immediately. Use the core protocols now if you want your team to be better, now. Next question. What do you use to evaluate team friendship other than the team's performance level? Okay, so I described this, uh, I used the word friendship, love, even. Uh, I said this is... Uh, this is normal people language for what academics and business people call a high-performance team or psychological safety or high-emotional intelligence. So friendship. Uh, I think friendship or connection in general is, uh, so we think friendship or connection in general is one of the most vital indicators of team performance, of, uh, of a high-performance team. Uh, we've been researching metrics for friendship even. <clears throat> The research suggests that teammate interconnectedness is a good heuristic for friendship, interconnectedness, and that we can objectively measure it by looking at the frequency of communication between teammates. So we plan to introduce uh, tools for Slack and email to help people measure their interconnectedness, to measure the level of friendship in a team. Imagine that you could measure friendship, uh, objectively measure it by uh, the, the amount of observable communication between members of a team, right? That would be frequency of communication as a heuristic for connectedness as basically the same thing as friendship. Uh, meanwhile, we've got a team diagnostic tool that you can find on my website at kasparowski.com slash diagnostic. Uh, you could use that to measure how things are going for your team. Try it out. Our next question, what to do when the person that is looking at the cell phone is your leader or your boss. All right, so you're in a meeting and somebody some, you're in a meeting and somebody's disengaged and they're they're distracted by their phone. But it's your boss. Uh, is there a safe way to suggest that they either stay engaged or check out? My answer: When any teammate is disengaged, the first thing I consider is whether they're in on the core protocols, uh, whether they're 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 part of this, whether it's part of their their backgrounds that they're they're. They know what check-in means. They know what, uh, they know what it means to be engaged when present and so on. If they are, if they're in on this stuff, I protocol check them. And it's like, dear teammate, even if it's the boss, are you checked in or should you check out? I might investigate them. I might intention check them. And even if they're not in, even if they don't know about these behaviors and the names of them, I would check in. I would protocol check, investigate, intention check them. You know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm sad, I'm mad, I'm, I'm confused. I don't understand why you're here, but you're not totally here. You're looking at your phone instead of being part of this, this work meeting with us. Uh, I'm in, blah, blah, blah. Uh, will, you, will you help me understand what's going on? On the other hand, uh, you know, if the person's not in on, on the core protocols and these ideas of, of safety and high group emotional intelligence, uh, well, we'll just have to settle. We'll just have to settle for a lesser performing team. I don't really want that. I want people to try out these ideas, but that's probably what you'll end up with. Okay, next we have two questions together, two questions from different people, but they're, they're very closely related. The first one of these is, how do you deal with cultural differences based on people's upbringing or background? For example, some folks are very shy or introverted and are very reluctant to share and participate. And the related question, how do we break past real cultural programming that has molded teammates into shy, introverted individuals? Sometimes they complain that they don't want to engage more with each other. How can I help them come out of their shells? And, and here's my answer. My answer is basically, well, it starts with, I know what you mean, because I'm one of these shy, introverted people. I grew up in a family culture where we didn't share our feelings. And I grew up in a part of the world where we're less emotionally open. At least that's what some research I read said about New Englanders. Now, freedom is the foundation of high-performance teams, right? Right after, uh, right after positive bias, uh, which means freedom means everyone gets to decide for themselves whether they want to opt in. If somebody opts in to emotion check-in and all the rest of these behaviors, fine. Oh, and, <clears throat> and if they're familiar with the research on team emotional intelligence, they'll know that they're settling for a lesser performing team, like I mentioned before, if they're not in on these ideas, right? Uh, so they can opt into having a better team or not opt into that. It's up to them. They have the freedom. Also... Let's keep in mind that emotional intelligence is not a fixed trait. Instead, it's an ability that you can grow if you want to grow it. And if you try hard, practice a lot. Uh, for this reason, I like to call it emotional competence. Uh, like it's a growth thing. It's a, I like to say, uh, let's say the, the growth mindset version of the term emotional intelligence is emotional competence. It, it kind of signals that, that it's something we can grow. And my, my proof that EI or emotional competence is something that you can grow is that I grew up in a low EI culture with low, lesser EI skills, lesser emotional intelligence skills. And I've developed those skills quite a bit. Uh, so if somebody wants to improve their emotional intelligence skills, they definitely can. And, and you could together as a team. Next question. The company I work for comprises three teams. In my team, there are two of us. It's my boss and me. Because my teammate is my boss, I feel like I have no psychological safety, and we're not an emotionally intelligent team. How do I bring this up with my boss? My answer? It depends. Uh, I say this a lot about bosses. Sometimes managers, leaders, directors, uh, they're more into logic and numbers they don't necessarily believe this research on emotional intelligence and so on. So if they are into numbers and logic, maybe share with them the research on psychological safety, including its correlation to high team performance. 
for example, share with them Amy Edmondson's seminal paper on, uh, on psychological safety. If they believe in science and research, if they believe in numbers and logic, then maybe that could help them understand that these are good ideas, that building EI together, building safety together, these are good ideas for having a really high-performing team. Next question. Let's say you have a group of four people and you're pairing people together. And you're pairing up to connect and team get together. So you're pairing people together in this, in this team. They're working together in groups of two. Do you then swap the pairs around to team with other people in the team or leave them alone and let it happen organically? Uh, so I think this person is, is hinting at an idea called uh, promiscuous pairing where we try to pair every possible combination of people together. Right, so I would pair with you, and then I'd pair with him and her and him and her and him and her. Uh, and, and they would pair with each other, and we'd, like, every half day, we would change who we were pair working with, working together in groups of two. Definitely do it. Try it. Uh, you might even try, oh, and uh, in the podcast with Arlo Belshi, he, he talks all about this. Uh, so check out that podcast as well, one of, one of my podcasts in the With Great People series, uh, Promiscuous Pairing and How to Do It Really Well. Uh, you might even try mobbing, mob programming, working together in a large group, the whole team working together instead of splitting off into small subteams. The more that teammates, the more that you connect with each other as teammates, the better. Next question, how do you manage poor performers? This question is so hard. Um, so, you know, my, my reflex, I grew up, just like many of us, I grew up in, uh, in, the area, in, in the era of industrial management kind of thinking, where you, the boss is the authority and just tells people what to do and they do it, and if they don't do it, you fire them. Uh, that's my reflex, but that's not necessarily the right thing to do. So what I try to do today, that, that's my fast brain thinking like that. My slow brain goes like this. I start with an open mind. I share how I'm feeling. That's emotion check-in. I investigate what I think I'm observing. I ask them what their intended outcomes are. That's intention check. I ask them about their biggest goals in life. That's, perfect. That's, that's personal alignment. I offer them feedback. And if they're up for it, we use perfection game to explore how they're doing at their role. Uh, what are some positives about their performance and what they could do differently to be incredibly, amazingly awesome at their role. It usually becomes evident that there's something wrong with the team or the organization, some systemic problem in what's happening around them, that they're not actually a poor performance, that there's something wrong with the system that we're working in together. So we try to fix it, the, the system around us. Or it could be that the person lacks some critical skill. So, good thing we found out, now we make it possible for them to try to learn it. Or, maybe that person realizes after that little bit of connecting and investigating and intention checking, that they actually don't belong on this team, and they leave the team of their own volition, and they find a team that fits them better. And then we're all better off. Okay, next question. How can we engage with teammates who don't want to engage? They just want to keep their heads down and work. Okay, so I'm going to be saying this over and over for the, for the, the last set of questions here. 
The research on the correlation between psychological safety and team performance is really, really solid. It goes back more than 20 years now. Do your teammates respond to numbers and logic? And I, I keep asking that because a lot of the work I do is with people who work in technology, building software, building hardware, things like this. They're oftentimes numbers and logic kind of people. So if they are, you might try sharing with them that there's evidence-based research on this stuff, psych safety, uh, and, and for example, its correlation to high team performance. Share with them Amy Edmondson's seminal paper. Share with them the famous New York Times news story about Google and their quest for high-performance teams and how they determined that for teams at Google, psychological safety was the most important thing for measurably better teams. Next question. What are some tips for applying some of these learnings with a large organization that lacks the right mindset? This is like, how do you boil the ocean? Uh, you boil the ocean, what do they say? One, one bowl, one, one, one pot at a time. Uh, don't start with the whole organization. Start with just your team or your group of teams, your team of teams. Create a bubble of safety around your team or your team of teams. Uh, make sure there's high psychological safety within that bubble, high emotional intelligence within that bubble. And of course, as a consequence, there will be high performance. It's a bubble. Protect the people within that bubble of awesomeness from the rest of the large organization. And it's possible that somebody in the larger organization will notice the, the high performance, the awesomeness that's coming from within that bubble. And they'll want some of it. So maybe that bubble, maybe that bubble will get a little bigger as more people join it. Next, when, when offering a pass, when passing, would you do it as part of a scrum event or would you reserve it for a one-on-one? -on -one? I fear that doing it in the scrum event would look judgmental. So here's my response. I, I just say, I pass. And I do it at the right time. I don't make a big deal out of it. There's no ritual. You just say those two words. Next, how can we encourage our leaders to use these ideas? They're not sold on the idea that psychological safety is necessary for high-performance teams. Same answer as before, there's solid research on this. It goes back more than 20 years. Would your leaders be, respond to numbers, logic, evidence, scientific research, and so on? If they would, and they probably would, uh, share with them Amy Edmondson's paper on this and share with them the famous news story about Google and psychological safety. Next, I'm a new person on a team that's been working together for many years. How would you suggest, uh, as a good start, to get them to be a high-performing team? So I would try three things. First, I would just model some of the behaviors and count on this mirror neuron idea that people would imitate me. So just try an emotion check-in. Explain what it feels like to them to be a member, a new member of this long-standing team. How do you feel about that? Share, share it with them. Try passing on something. Show them that that's a thing that's possible. Uh, suggest a better way to make decisions and resolve conflict. That's decider protocol and resolution protocol. If someone asks what you're doing, then explain it to them. If not, just model it. Okay, that's the first thing. Next, I would share the decades of science and research on teams and team performance. Right. So the highest performing teams enjoy measurably high levels of psych safety and emotional intelligence. And if we want our team to be one of these high performing teams, 
Well, the science and research tells us what to do. Finally, number three, consider taking a class, right? Actually, you know, learn and practice this stuff. Uh, I teach classes on this. You could take one of my classes. You could find somebody else who offers a class on this stuff. Uh, learn everything you can and uh, turn it into embedded knowledge, turn it into like muscle memory so that it's just how you operate together uh, individually and together as a team. Uh, learn it and practice it. Next question. If you have a team stuck in the storming phase, how would you propose getting them past this phase? My answer, you're talking about Tuckman's model of team formation when you say storming. Uh, so I noticed that when we run a class or a workshop on the core protocols, we traverse through all of the stages of Tuckman's model, uh, from forming to storming to norming to performing. Performing here means high-performing team. Uh, we do that in as little as one day, right? So we go through that super fast. You could try it yourself, or you could ask me for help. Next, we've got two re related questions. Uh, first, how can you keep these values alive after a reorg? Do you need to start from scratch with Tuckman? And the related question, how do you deal with unstable teams during organizational change? Here's my answer. Uh, in the most successful cases where I've, where I've introduced these, it help, helps people learn and practice these ideas in their organizations. Uh, leaders learn and practice these behaviors first before anyone else in the org. Right? When leaders do something first, we call it leading. That's what leaders do. They do things first before other people lead. They lead. And we call them leaders. Uh, leaders go first, right? So these leaders, they might take one of my classes uh, on teams and team performance on, on the core protocols and participate in regular coaching as a leadership team to practice and master these behaviors that can get them, uh, get the leadership team to be a high performance team. Once the leadership team becomes a high performance team, well, th they'll be like the first and the model high performance team in the organization. And they openly model these behaviors so everyone else can learn by imitating them. Mirror neurons again. In one org that I worked with, the leadership team even held their daily stand-up in an open physical space. Uh, and everyone in the organization could, could show up and watch them, see how they did it. Right? So they modeled how to do uh, an open uh, how, to, how to do uh, uh, a daily stand-up really well. Oh, they did an emotion check-in as the first part of their daily stand-up. So everybody got to see that happen. They modeled good decision-making and conflict resolution, decider protocol, resolution protocol, and all the other behaviors of high-performance teams. So people got to see it in action. They were true leaders. They went first, and they genuinely tried to be a great team. And they were a really good team. They, the leaders, made it safe for everyone else in the organization to learn and practice the behaviors of high-performance teams. These leaders, they cultivated an environment of high psychological safety and high team emotional intelligence, which are critical ingredients for high performance. When teams inevitably got shuffled to achieve their organizational goals better, and they had good reasons for doing this, uh, Team members, because they had also studied and practiced these behaviors for, for, for teaming quickly, for teaming effectively, they had the skills 
to form new teams quickly. They already had norms, these, these core protocols are norms, that they could use to spin up into new high-performing teams rapidly. So start with leaders and, and make sure everybody's in on these ideas and they learn them and they practice them and they know them well. And when they reteam, the reteaming will be easy. Last question, wow. How do I encourage my teammates to have the courage to be honest about how they feel? My answer, just model it, mirror neurons again. Share your emotions with them, do it. And invite them, but don't pressure them to do the same thing. Whew, okay, so that's it for today's questions. If you have a question about anything you think I might be able to help with, just ask. Uh, we'll put a link to my website's contact page. You can use that to ask me any question you want, and I'll get back to you. That's it for today. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us here on With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. We'll be back soon with another episode. And remember, to support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Thanks for listening.